Hey everyone, this is Pastor Matt Parra and I'm here with my friend uh, Jasper St. Bernard from the United States of America and we're doing a special edition of our All Things Evangelism podcast. Uh, you guys know that we're in a series called Why Evangelism Doesn't Work and that series is not titled the way that it is because we don't think evangelism works. Mm-hmm. It's that a lot of people don't think that it works and we don't oftentimes get the success that we, we would love to get, that we want to see in our outreach and in our ministry. And um, this special edition is entitled Why Evangelism Doesn't Work Because We Don't Love Each Other. And um, the world is, is kind of inside out and upside down right now because of uh, what's happened in the United States of America. My friend Jasper is from the United States and I thought I'd just ask him to join me so that we could have a conversation on uh, race and culture and uh, distinction and differences within the confines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and how we as a church community can do better uh, at loving each other and bridging the gap between uh, culture and race and all these kinds of things. And uh, yeah, so thanks for, for joining us, Jasper. Oh yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. You're getting to know a whole conference of people in Australia. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hey, just uh, the, a lot of people in our conference know who Billy Otto is and... Uh, but well, what they wouldn't know is that, because Billy Otto is a musician here right. in, in Australia and in our church, he's, he's like a son of this conference in a way, because he was raised here and, and you know, brought up at our big camps and all this stuff. But you and him, would you mind just like telling everyone the, how you met Billy Otto? Because it's kind of interesting because <laughs> it has a little bit to do with race. No, right? it does. Okay. I didn't know if you wanted me to talk about that. But all right, so let's just to preface this story. I yeah. love Billy to death to this day. We actually talked a, uh, a few weeks back um, for a while. That, that is my guy. So this story that I'm going to tell you is not reflective of how our, uh, well, this is good. I mean, it's telling of how even in, uh, even when it begins awkwardly, it can blossom into a beautiful thing, right? So, uh, <laughs> so Billy's from Australia. You all know that uh, I'm not from Australia, and so there's there was uh, there was some unfamiliarity culturally, and so we, we got to a rise. I remember um, he was a little standoffish at the airport when we got to Detroit, um, and uh, and we were all there, and the, the British folk flew in, and so we were just all sort of hanging out until Scott came to get us. Um, was Billy at the airport? Maybe he wasn't at the airport. Maybe it was just the British people that I met. And so then when uh, I remember when we got to the apartment, <laughs> I still laugh about the story. So I walked it was up. Hilarious. I told and, you this too, by the oh, way. Okay. I, never, I never say it was Billy. I just say it was this Australian guy. <laughs> okay. So I walk up and he's, and, and, um, and he's like, oh, Jasper. And he like goes to like, like slap my hand. And what people should know is that, um, Okay, as a black person coming into a predominantly white space, you're very uh, self-conscious about how you you convey yourself because of all of the prevailing stereotypes. So I was in a what do you, what do you call it a valley of decision <laughs> when he when he went to smack my hand because I was like, do I high like do I let him do this because I don't know what will come of it. I wanted to like because nor I should tell you like under normal circumstances when somebody approaches me like that, I will grab their hand and shake it just so like we're clear on like what is and is not, you know? And um, and so, but because I was new there and I had already come to like love like Scott and all that, it was just so much pressure. So like, like we kind of like, I let him dab, but I felt terrible. I felt like I'd betrayed something on the inside. 
and he was very the like the way the way he was talking to me was just like he was and and to be fair i understand what he was trying to do like he was trying to um you know make himself familiar to me that's what he was attempting to do but it was super awkward and so <laughs> to add to this story so then from there i'm like okay am i gonna like this guy i guess not i don't know man but uh so then uh maybe a week or so later he was doing he was uh recording something and uh he wanted uh a voiceover like a narrative he was yeah. recording like some documentary or something and right. so he said he said like yeah uh jasper what why don't you do it because i would like you know like a, a, a you know a, a black preacher voice to over it <laughs> and and on the inside i laughed out and and i told myself he's going to be disappointed because matt you know me i don't have that like i'm not cd brooks right. i'm not like i don't have that voice like that, this, yeah. just because that you're black, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean <laughs> that you you preach like cd brooks right right and so i remember we got like four minutes into the recording and like he hit stop and he was just uh, he tried to like backpedal out of it it was really awkward but it was clear that uh he did he didn't want me to do it i know i don't know what came of that documentary by the way he, he realized that that like black skin didn't always <laughs> come with the perfect voice for a documentary right, series right right yeah right so i don't have the james earl jones or the morgan freeman or i, I just i don't have that um but uh by God's grace, because that was from there, because I knew what happened. And I was like, I guess, I guess we're not going to be friends, because there was just so many of these ideas, and yeah. it was, it was getting in the way. But God is funny. So when you all, when you all paired us off, yeah. Ryan was my door knocking partner, and then Billy was partners with, who, I don't, oh, uh, Alex, I think it was. But anyway, the four of us had to ride in the same car. And our outreach area was like an hour away with traffic. Yeah. And so we had to be in that same space so much that like eventually we got to see each other's hearts and the Lord softened mine and, and with time and the awkwardness to, to not uh, sugarcoat the story, the awkwardness left. I, the, the, I think the Lord was speaking to him as well. Like, yeah. why don't you get to know Jasper and like- Person. Without, yeah, right. And then, you know, by the end of a rise, we were we were good buddies that's, that's yeah. my guy yeah i love yeah. him so it's just it, i'm just gonna say some things for the sake of the people here so like there was a stereotype of what a black american person is like and so you got this australian guy who's like yo 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 homie. yeah yeah that's right. <laughs> yo, yo what's up my dog and and you know not with no awareness of the fact that the black community in the united states of america is not a monolith no it's not like one person in like the form of several million people it's it's several million human beings with distinct right. perspectives and views right. and feelings right. and backgrounds and he yeah. was so unfamiliar with interacting with people from black american culture that he didn't know this all he knew was what the news told him yeah or yep. media or a movie or something and so he meets you and he's like oh Here's this is one. how I act. <laughs> if I want him to think I'm cool, if, if I want him to know I like him, I better be like a homeboy. Right. Yeah. And the thing, and the thing is, is that, I mean, I don't know. I like, yeah, I, I was listening to some yesterday and she made a, a it was, a, it was a, a podcast. It was secular, but she made a really good point where, because she has an online presence and um, she is a, a black woman and she was just saying it bothers her when, she is treated when she's out and people treat her like they know her already before yeah. knowing her, like based on 
her digital uh, presence and, and the principle, like to be treated like you are already encapsulated before any exchange can just really do damage to that exchange either, you know, either way or. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I do, so we're doing this series of, of presentations for this podcast, why evangelism doesn't work. And the verse that comes to my mind is in, in the book of John in chapter 15, no, no, 13, 34 and 35. When Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you love each other as I have loved you. And by this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And it's funny to me because he, he doesn't say, if you have, the, you know, if you have lo want love for one another because you're all the same color or because you all come from the same background or because you all have the same political persuasions mm -hmm. or anything like that, he says, if you have love for one another. And, you know, it's funny to me because we always see the disciples as Jews. So they're, they're just Jews. So you, it's easy to think, well, yeah, like they're from the same culture mm -hmm. and therefore they're pretty similar people. But when you look into their stories, they're actually quite different. Yeah. And Simon the Zealot, not Simon Peter, but Simon the Zealot was uh, a zealot. And whenever we hear the word zealot, we think, Oh, he was zealous for God, but a zealot in that time was someone who was a militant. Yeah, he was he was what a Roman would call a terrorist, hundred percent. And Matthew, the tax collector, was the exact opposite. He's like taking money from Jewish people and giving it to their oppressors right. in Rome. And so these guys are on the same team; they're part of the same like Christian family. Yeah, and Jesus is saying, "You need to. The whole world will know that you're mine." And you'll have my power if you have love for each other. So it wouldn't have been as easy for them as I think people would have thought. Because no. they're very different men. And it's funny, we, we, have the, we have the luxury of hindsight, right? So we, we can fast forward in our minds to Pentecost. Um, but you imagine three and a half years of that, like where they have to sit together and eat together. And um, like the point you just made is very interesting to me, where Simon would have been looking at Levi a little funny for a while. Like, I, right, like, I'm not sure why well, Jesus, like, I'm not sure why we're both, uh, we have this, we share a rabbi. And, and so I think it would, it, I, I agree with you that it would have been a lot more messy um, than we often give it credit. And, and uh, just one more point to that, I think the, the, our inability to read it as potentially messy, I think warps how we expect to interact with each other, um, if, if that makes any sense. So like, because we think it was pure harmonies as soon as Jesus called them, we just, we expect some semblance of that to be manufactured immediately with us. And, I, and, and, it's, and it's an unrealistic expectation, but I think that unrealistic expectation is drawn from our misunderstanding of like like really digging into the text and just reading yep. with the hindsight that is 2020 totally well it's funny because in in is it mark matthew chapter 17 and mark chapter 9 when jesus comes off the mountain with peter james and john mm -hmm. and it says the disciples couldn't cast out the demons mm -hmm. uh, from the from the man's son and then later in the story they're walking down the road and Jesus is like, Hey, what were you guys talking about? Like, what's going on with you? You guys are having a conversation. What's happening. And it says they were afraid to answer him because they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Right. So you got this example of this glorified Christ. Who's got these disciples and the disciples are impotent against satanic forces. 
And it's because they're so divided and at each other's throats that God yeah. can't, can't bless them and give them this power. And, uh, and he calls John and James the sons of thunder. And I'm just saying all these things because it's exactly what you're saying. It's messy. Like those yeah. three and a half years would have been filled with tension and filled right. with difficult conversations and filled with that awkward discomfort that comes from having to learn how to understand someone mm -hmm. who's very different and who maybe you're jealous of them because they're favored by God just like you are, but they're very different, right. maybe disposed differently in many different ways. And, if, and I would imagine too, like what people don't realize in regards to, to, to like the, the race, I was just speaking of the race issue, like the races, you know, the different the, the things that people don't understand in regards to race issues is that within a culture or subculture, you can have as many divides and divisions as you have between one race or so, one race or culture and a whole different one. Mm -hmm. You got like tradesmen, academics, you have the working class, you have the, you know, higher classes of people. And when you come together in Jesus, you have to expect tension and friction and challenge. And if you don't expect that, then usually when it comes, you'll, you'll just run away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting when you, when you go back to, when you went to that story, it's, it's interesting that the thing that was keeping them from like really uh, experiencing the power of Jesus was this debate over like who was the greatest. So it's interesting that like at, at what the, the blockage was this really this unwillingness to like relent to the other. Um, and, and we see that like today, like the, the, there, there's, there's a lot of grappling for like recognition that I think Jesus, it, it'd be interesting to hear, I'll, I'll put it like this. I think Jesus is asking us that same question today. Hey, what are you, what are you all talking about? Like, what is, what are you discussing? And I think if, if, if we would hear that voice, we'd be just as embarrassed because I feel like we're doing, we're having and maybe we ought to be there more there should be more shame because we're having the same argument that the disciples yeah. were having like we haven't learned anything and yeah. so if jesus turns to us like hey what are you guys talking about like it's this uh i mean to i mean race is a perfect example of this i don't think it's the only one but it's an example of this you know the 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 it, in the in america like the experience of uh the different separate conferences and uh, and the, the various debates on the inception of them and why they still are maintained and what and I wonder if Jesus would look at us and say like what are you all talking about like what 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 is what is happening um, and yeah. I think we'd be just as ashamed to speak on it absolutely you know, it's just, just I want to focus on the abstract for just another second or two yeah, and, yeah. I'll, and then I'll ask you some specific questions as a as a black person in the United States and as a Seventh Day Adventist Christian but um, in Acts chapter two, they were all in one place and in one accord. And that was like the moment, you know, it all kind of came together. And uh, three and a half years of tension, friction, butting heads, figuring out how to not hate each other <laughs> and, and how to get over that whole who's the greatest yeah. complex, but rather learn what it means to serve and to care in, in, and really just to find your value in God and not need to assert yourself in this world. Um, it comes together. These men are humbled for real. The Holy Ghost comes upon them and they begin to reap the fruit of Jesus's ministry. Um, what, what is there for us in, in now in regards to evangelism? Because our church is not just divided amongst racial lines. Our church is divided like on any conceivable line you can think of. 
like I, you know, I go into churches sometimes here and like every single pretext in the universe is invented to disguise a desire for power and control. Like yeah. this theology, that theology, this methodology, that methodology, this music, that music. It's like all these external reasons for fighting and for discord. When I think personally, what's behind it is two words. It's power and control, right? Like, yeah. So, so do you have any just... Yeah, so that, this will, yeah, this will be good too because once <laughs> I'm noticing that once we get into the concrete, if people people are having a hard time with the concrete. So it's good to like for me to be able to say this abstract point and hopefully people can hear my heart so that when we get into the concrete, they'll understand the space that this is coming from, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I, so I was thinking about this today and uh, earlier today. So there's this quote in the book Education where Ellen White talks about how the great controversy basically can be boiled down to a battle between two principles, yeah. right? And those two principles, uh, she will say in another place. So you have to pair two paragraphs, but based the, the two principles are selfishness and unselfishness. And she says something very interesting. She says, every scripture that you read is, uh, is um, a lens or it gives you an insight on this battle between these two principles. She says that for scripture. Then she goes on to say, um, basically like every news headline you read um, is also an instantiation of this battle. And then in your personal life, every decision you make, you are coming down one way or another on one of those two principles, right? So every, everything boils down to this, to this battle between selfishness and unselfishness. So then I was, I was thinking some more about it. So you have, um, because uh, for, for many of us, uh, love is an abstract word right? And why I praise God for scripture is that he defines love for us. We don't have to guess what love is. Um, and it, because if you line 30 Adventists up and you say, you know, what is love? You'd get 32 different answers, right? So like, it's, so the question is like, what is love? And so in 1 John 4, it tells us like in this love was manifested that God gave his son yeah. to be a propitiation. So Jesus or, or God demonstrated what love looked like in giving his son, right? And then Jesus demonstrates what love looks like by give, pouring his soul unto death. So like love is unselfishness, right? Like that's what it is. Okay, so now um, when, when we look at, cause I, I try to tie all this to Jesus because I mean, he's, he's really the only person that keeps me sane in all of the madness, <laughs> right? Yeah. So when I look at Jesus, uh, Psalm 40 says, I delight to do your will, oh my God, for your law is written on my heart. Your law is written on my heart, right? So out of the heart comes the issues of life. Out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. So when we look at the life of Jesus, what we see on display is unselfishness. That's what we see. Yeah. So the law being the transcript of God's character, we see unselfishness displayed. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I think in, in our, if we were honest in our heart of hearts, unselfishness frightens us because what that means is that I have to give of myself to you, but I don't know that I can trust you. That's right. Right. Like, right. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't have confidence that me giving myself to you is, go, is a safe place. And I think the, one of the major things the church is struggling is with that lack of trust and no one, I mean, I'm speaking in generalities. So if you're listening to this and this doesn't, if the shoe doesn't fit, then praise the Lord. But few people are willing to um, take, make the first step. 
So yeah. the interesting thing about the love of God is that he initiates. He doesn't, so like God didn't wait for us to come to him and then he's like, okay, I guess I can love them now, right? No. So love is risky and, 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 it's, it, and, and it initiates in it. So when we, cause I, I see the same stuff, we go to church and all these battles seem to me, most of them seem to me really uh, people suggesting, I want my own way. I want, I like the, this style of music. So of course that is the style of music that will be played in heaven. And so we should play it here in preparation for that, right? right. Or I like X, whatever the thing is. And, and, and uh, the, the last thing on that, because this is the thing I've been really dwelling on lately. Yeah. There is an effective element of it that I think is lacking. So in that, in that Psalm that I just quoted, the, the word that jumps out to me lately is that Jesus says, I delight to do thy will, right? Right. I think that Jesus, and this is gonna, I, this may not be groundbreaking at all. It might just be for me. I think Jesus liked the father. So like he didn't mind doing what right. the father was asking of him. Yeah. I'm not convinced that we like Jesus. Now we know we're supposed to love him because we want to go to heaven, right? right. We don't want to go to hell, but I'm not sure that we like Jesus. Totally. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick example, That's a quick cool. So I was, I was in this church in Wisconsin, in Madison, I was preaching, I was preaching on the, um, uh, the Good Samaritan and uh, just laying out how in the content, we, we ripped that story out of its context. And we just think that, you know, Jesus was an amazing storyteller. He just told the story and it was wonderful. Yeah. But when you read it in the context, Jesus is answering a question that, uh, that was a second question, right? So the first question was, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Right. And then Jesus lays out. And then the second question is, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into the story. So in the context of the, the uh, in the context of the passage in that story, Jesus is explaining what the law looks like. So the Samaritan is displaying what the law looks like in action. Yeah. The, the Pharisee, the um, I'm, I'm sorry, the priest and the Levite, they go on. But the, and then so that's why he says, you know, at the end, go and do likewise. Like so he's basically saying, go and keep the commandments. Right. Yeah. So I finished preaching. Um, shaking hands, you know, the custom in our church. And this uh, this older woman comes up to me and she says, okay, sure, I I get it. We have to love everybody, but I don't have to like them, do I? And that <laughs> was like, that was that, like, that was such a moment to me because I was just like, that's it. We want, we want to, we want God to give us the permission to do the least amount. So love, I just, uh, because in our minds, the opposite of love is hate. Right. But scripturally, the opposite of love is, is selfishness. Right. right. And we don't want to we don't want to be unselfish. We want to love those that love us. We want to salute those that salute us. And we want right. permission to like only those who like us and are in our immediate circle. And I'm convinced, uh, as I've been studying, that the law demands more and uh, it, it wants more from us mm -hmm. than that. Dude, that's heavy, man. You've said so many things that I want to comment on now. That's a frustration. Having these conversations. No. Where do we go now? You know, dude, yeah, like, I guess it's fair to say in response to that woman, hey, listen, you don't have to feel great about everything someone else does. Right. You don't have to prefer everything that someone else prefers. But surely you have to like them, like at least right. on a basic level, on some simple human level right like you have right. to like that they are alive you have to right you know 
like that they're standing next to you. You have to like them to some degree. That's an interesting thought, hey. Because it's like, true, you can love people who you don't feel great about in the moment. For, and when I say this, what I mean is, say uh, a person has a habit and I just don't like that habit. It's right. just, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, they squeeze the toothpaste the wrong way or they <laughs> put the toilet right. paper the wrong way. And I don't like that. Yeah. Now, in my mind, I can say, I don't like that they do that. And I don't, I don't really like that habit. Or maybe I don't like the tone of their voice. I don't like the way they sing. Like, okay, that's fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean I don't like them. Right. It just means there's certain things about them I don't like. And, but yeah, if you're going to love someone, you kind of have to like them. So just let me, so- uh, my fault. I didn't mean to cut you. No, no, you're good. And I just wanted to, I, I, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a child in a candy shop. But I do want to, I just want to throw in there that when it comes to the things that divide us, if we are choosing to allow God to make us unselfish, and if we're choosing to commit to unselfish action towards everyone, because we like Jesus and we like what he expressed in his own life, and that's what we are committing to as Christ followers. Yeah. We're not committing to heaven. We're not committing to getting you know, the Holy Spirit so that we can do miracles and be important people in the church context. We're committing to to Jesus because we like what he was. We believe in what he stood for. And that's what we're committing our life to his salvation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. ourselves. And um, that's going to mean, you know, like I can bridge the gaps because love does not seek its own. So, so I'm happy to love someone who's different or love someone who's distinct because I'm committing personally to a life of unselfishness. And it seems yeah. to me that's the only way. That to me is the only way to bridge gaps. That's it. I can't see that's any other it. way. No, that's but, it. But you know, it's so funny because the world, sorry to cut you off, but no, no, go ahead. in the world today, I think that when I look around society, yeah. it seems to me people are trying to minimize distinction in order to help everyone get along. So it's like, if we pretend that there's no differences between us, then all of a sudden we'll get along. Like, you know, male, female, there's no difference, you know. Uh, same-sex marriage, heterosexual marriage, there's no difference. You know, a man who, you know, says he's a woman when he's biologically a male, that's the same thing as a real woman. You know, there's no difference. And and I I think behind this illogical approach to life, there's kind of a good motive where people are, they want everyone to get along. They're just like, hey, look, we don't want fighting. We don't want hatred. We don't want, you know, people despising each other. So let's just all pretend like there's nothing different about us. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's what you have to do when people aren't willing to give up their unselfish hearts. But see, what's amazing, what's amazing about that, and I think you're, I think uh, you're onto something there. And I, so, you know, I, I study philosophy and, and I don't know, uh, I wonder which professor would get on me with it. But if you look at what, what I find interesting, something I find interesting about philosophy, uh, especially modern philosophy. So I'm talking about Immanuel Kant and Hegel and, uh, Hume and, and, and those guys, they really struggled with difference in their personal life. So mm. Kant, was, uh, uh, Kant was racist, right? Um, Hegel was too. Uh, well, maybe Hegel wasn't, but um, Hume definitely was. And so like you see these men really struggling with difference and, it, and it, there are whispers of that struggle in their philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so there's this push for this universality. 
like uh and what they what they fail to acknowledge in this universe out this universal push is that they are a perspective they they speak of their perspective as universal right mm -hmm. and so one thing one one of the things that happened in the fallout is that european maleness became the universal right mm -hmm. so what you where, where you were giving people where you were being generous with this push again uh with the, the the back to the the middle is because they struggled with diversity and so what we're doing in, in the way we help this struggle is we just we try to minimize it yeah but i think the mistake was like we would have to go back I, and and the thing that i think one the beautiful what's beautiful to me about the creator is that it's clear to me that he doesn't struggle with difference no like the di difference isn't right it, it was an intentional move right. on his behalf right there's different flowers there's different trees and even people god is made from one blood all nations to dwell on the earth that's right so like he like the the, the difference so instead of minimizing difference because i think that's a natural move when you're dealing like philosophically or just from the mind of man like the the the, the move is to try to just like we'll ignore as much of this as possible now where i think and i hope i won't get lost in this thought but like where i think the 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 trick or the deception is that the human the carnal heart needs difference so like it perpetuates difference in order to build like a hierarchy right like that's it, it why. uses distinction for its own aim for its own yeah agenda. right yeah. so the way it relates so, to distinction is 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 it exalts itself through the distinction yes right it yeah right, exactly the distinction exactly and so then and and so it's interesting when when you get to when you read in romans 8 that the carnal heart is enmity with god for it's not subject to the law of god neither indeed can be i don't think and then when you read about the gospel there is neither jew nor greek or whatever the gospel is not trying to destroy difference it's right. just trying to destroy the hierarchy right god right. is no respecter of persons so yeah. it levels it levels the hierarchy that the human heart creates instead of trying to destroy it so the point i'm making is that like i think when god makes all things new all things new difference is not going to go away that's not how he's going to uh undermine sin and misery and suffering it's just that we will have learned through be like through taking his lens toward difference how to operate in it and i mean that yeah. i think that's what he's trying to teach us um okay. now Amen. And, and it's not that there's like when it when galatians 3 says there's neither jew nor greek nor male nor female and you know free nor bond it's not like paul's not trying to say that in, like since jesus died for the human race there are no more distinctions amongst people he's right. just saying that a humble submission to jesus takes away that selfish disposition that yeah. divides those groups right you know we're all one in christ not in the sense that we lose our distinction because our distinction is is beautiful it's it's great it's wonderful but yeah. rather, instead of utilizing it to separate ourselves and to dominate other people and, and to push us apart, they can be things that bring us together. Like, yeah. I found this, it, just, just recently I was studying, and we're going all over the place here, but this is cool for me anyways. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> for, no, for me too. <laughs> but when, when I was reading, uh, uh, just, just recently I was studying again for the sake of teaching on marriage, the Genesis account. And I noticed that, uh, in the in the first in the week of creation, God is creating a world of distinction, and he's he's using contrast to complement, right? So you've got you've got like 
the evening and the morning are created. You know, God mm-hmm. says, let there be light. And he divides the light from the darkness. So there's division and there's light, which contrasts mm-hmm. darkness. But then he combines the two and the two become one. Right. So there's this unified whole that's made up of distinction. And the distinction does not contradict, it complements. And this is part of God's beautiful yeah. un, you know, plan of revealing himself to the universe by creating a, a physical system of different elements that are all distinct and unique and different, but that combine together in service to one another to make a healthy environment, you know? Yeah. And then you get like to the water is separated from the land. And then, you know, he creates all these creatures to inhabit. And then he divides all these creatures to male and female. This is an obvious indication that God celebrates distinction. Right. And that distinction doesn't need to be a bad thing. It can be a really good thing. And yeah. You can't have unselfishness unless you have distinction whereby, right. you know, yeah. submit yeah. yourself to something different or love someone who's different or bridge yeah. a gap because there is no gap to bridge if everyone's the same. Exactly. Right. Right. You know, right. So yep. it's, it's funny to me how in this, this societal overreaction, like, okay, since we have seen in the past that the things that divide us cause war and trouble and hatred. So let's just imagine that there are no dis- differences uh, between us but that's just silly because it's just not you have to live in an illusion for that that's right that's right i was right i was gonna say the same thing like you have to step outside of reality yeah in order to not acknowledge that there are differences yeah and nobody and, and nobody really ends up acting that way anyways you know it's, no you just pretend it's just like just no. pretend. yeah but but then but then so this is this leads us i think to the elephant in the room yeah and that is that the issue is not so much differences between church member who's black and church member who's white or church member who likes this music and church member who likes that music or church member who, you know, speaks this language and church member who speaks this. Those differences aren't really the issue. The issue is, is in the heart. Like that's like mm-hmm. the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that, that so few people want to really address. And that is that, that, that once the one it's a, it's almost like once the heart is is dealt with those things no longer become obstacles they actually become interest i don't know how they become complementary it's like with with my wife and i and, and everyone who's married and has kids sees this but the differences between us we can fight forever and i can try to form her into my male image and she can try to form me into her female image and i do that i go through months of time where i'm just like trying to f- physically like not physically but like yeah psychologically force her into a mold that i think is going to make her what i need her to be yeah but then all of a sudden i have these moments of conversion where i'm repenting before the lord and in like two seconds all of our issues and tensions and frustrations they just disappear and the differences between us i can start to celebrate them and appreciate them and respect them yeah yeah yeah. and jesus says it's out of the heart that precedes evil lusts adulteries and all this right right you know um uh, A.T. Jones has these sermons in 1895 where he's preaching through the Three Angels' messages and when, and he does this move that is incredible to me where in uh, toward the end, like the 24th sermon or something like that, he, he, he identifies the isms, the source of the isms in the world in the human heart and colorism, which is the equivalent to like racism in our day, yeah. um, is, is what he's, like, that's what he's talking about. So he says that it emerges out and i think you're like i think you're right like 
all the, 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 the isms and then in, in the interpersonal that you just described, it's an attempt to basically make this person into an automaton. And like what, what I think happens is I convince myself that if everybody acted the exact way that I believe they should, we yeah. would immediately have harmony in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's, I, I mean, some people are not gonna like this, but it feels like it has echoes with like Isaiah 14, right? Totally. Like where like, I will ascend above the, the stars of God. Like I'm going to, I know the way, right? So if everyone would just fall in line, we'll get along. And I think that move, what one, one example of that, uh, that we're struggling with over here, and I know in the world, uh, in, in America, especially in the church, is race, racism is an example of that. Like, I need you to fall in line yeah. and, or to be this, this, like, this image of what I think you should be. And then once you become that, like, we'll, we'll get along just fine. Hmm. Um, and, wow. and, what, and what I think is interesting, what I find compelling about Jesus is he did not do that. Like he did not do that. He didn't uh, lord over. I mean, and he, if anyone could have, he would, he could have done that, but he did not try to make them become this thing that like, like he didn't try, you understand what I'm saying? Like he didn't impose his will onto them and like make them what he thought they should be. There's, there's a lot of room for individuality and, 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 and who you are in Christ. Like Christ is okay with who you are. And you don't like the, so, so when we talk about surrender and all that other stuff, it's not the complete erasure of who you are. That does, that's not what happens. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we want from people. Like as soon as you, as soon as your individuality disappears, we'll be able to get along. And I, that, that's, that's a terrible mistake that many of us are making. It's so weird, isn't it? Because we're, 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 you and I have obviously philosophical minds. Like we just, we always like to just ponder the abstract, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's how we're constructed. And in, in this, in this discussion, like what you're saying to, is highlighting to me the challenge that, that we face when you live in a, a pendulous society, right? So um, you have conflict and discord and so you try to erase distinction. You, 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 you fling the other way on the pendulum and you pretend that there's no distinction. And that's, in, in to, to some degree, that's very oppressive. It's yeah. like what you're saying. Like, if I can oppress everyone's distinction, if I can kind of force everyone into a specific societal mold, well, then we'll all just get along, you know? And that's like right. what every utopian failure of the 20th century tried to do, right? Yes. Like you just, yep you just create this collective of individuals and everybody surrenders their individuality to the collective. Yeah. And then we all get along and everything's perfectly fine. And you can kind of see the West in some senses go going in that, that way. But so bro, um, we, I was just thinking we have to do more conversations. We should make this a series okay. of, of, of race and distinction and difference. And I think that you have a lot of good things to say, man, as a philosopher and as, as a Christ follower in, in, on this subject, but now, just for the last little bit, let's, I just wanted to talk about, for the sake of our majority white Australian um, Adventists here, mm -hmm. um, just to talk specifically about race. Yeah, As yeah. a black American, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I mean, you're a pretty diverse, like, eclectic guy, I would say. Not diverse. You're a right. pretty eclectic guy, like, in the sense yeah, that yeah. your experience is pretty broad. 
you've associated with lots of different people in lots of different contexts, but yet you were, you were brought up in a primarily black community. Is that right? right? In Atlanta. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so is there any like preliminary things that like you'd like to say, or that we should discuss in regards to race and overcoming difference in the Seventh-day Adventist church? Because although we're an all white conference here, not all white, but a primarily white conference here, there's little distinction, like little, uh, there's not little distinction. There's little um, diversity. There's not a lot of diversity in our conference here. We're primarily, primarily rural conference. We have, you know, there's a little bit of diversity, but primarily yeah, this yeah. Is a white conference, but it's not going to be because that's the trend of the West. Right. Tons of immigration. Right. There's people are moving around and, and Australians sometimes I notice as an American coming here, they'll kind of look over the Pacific ocean at the United States and they'll kind of like, Oh, that's those poor Americans having all their racism issues. And <laughs> that, that, that's not how they would say it, but ever yeah, since no, 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 years, I, no, no, I'm laughing because they, they, I, yeah, yeah. We kind of look over to America like, Oh, can you believe oh, all that racism right. there? And my first thought, and I don't say this, and some of the church family are going to hear this from me for the first time, that m what I think in my head is, is, well, of course you don't have race issues. It's all white here. Right. <laughs> of, course, of course you're not racist because you've got no people of other races and cultures and differences yeah. to deal with. And yeah. so you're not having to have that, that those issues arise because there's nothing forcing them to arise. But And, anyways, and I, would, I would say, so I've been, I've been on calls since George Floyd's the the murder of of George Floyd, I've been on various calls with different, so many different kind of people for the last ten days. Yeah, and I I think what's interesting about um, you know, one I was on a call today, a, a different uh, reading group that I'm in, and and we were talking. I, I'm I am not convinced that racism is as sneaky as we give it credit for being. So let me, let me explain what I'm saying. I think that if we allowed, if we were really open to the Holy Spirit and we let him search us and we were honest, right, with, with, what, we, with what he revealed to us about ourselves, I think many of us would, would, would see that we struggle with this issue. And I think what is hurting the church right now is that unwillingness to soul search and to really be honest. So at least in America, and this is anecdotal, but I think I have a broad enough experience where it, it may be closer to more normative than, than that. I think a lot of people want to, especially in the church, they want to convince themselves that they are good. They, they want to know that they are good. So they engage in this conversation with a little bit of bad faith because they want to, they start the conversation wanting to know that the end of the conversation will prove that they're good, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like now that, that, just like the Pharisees, that keeps certain aspects of you hidden from yourself. So for instance, there were, there were Pharisees, just as, a, as an analogy, as a parallel, there were Pharisees who were actively plotting the murder of Jesus. Right. Right? He healed someone. They were actively plotting. If you would have pulled Joe the Pharisee to the side and would have said, Joe, are you a murderer? He would have said, no, I don't know. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually presses them where he yeah. says, you, you want to kill me? And they go, what is this guy? This guy's crazy. He's crazy. Says, yeah, like, oh, what? <laughs> because, like, they don't want to face themselves. They don't want to yeah. face themselves, right? Yeah. So in a, what a, a, a really, like, a, 
a governing principle is that like we have to be honest and if we're honest with uh even if you're not at experiencing it, like you said because if it's not in your immediate experience then you don't you you don't have to be challenged but right. i know that th i know that many of the brethren around the world are reading i mean there are there are protests taking root all around the world so i know this is a thing that is happening and so how are you reading the articles what do you see when you see george floyd what do you see you understand like are there presumptions that are being made because i think if we were honest we'd see already that there are things going on that would com communicate to us that we may struggle with this uh we we give ourselves too much credit is what i'm saying yeah. we, we give ourselves way too much credit have, have you ever heard someone say that that no one is born racist but people are taught to be racist have you heard that i have heard that now i don't i don't agree with that at all like no <laughs> i think that's totally false now, coming from the standpoint of a secular humanist who does not believe in the supernatural, like they don't believe in the fallenness of man, they just think we're just a, a, a highly developed animal that's born. Um, yeah, like to me then, from that standpoint, it can make a little bit of sense, this idea okay. that no one's born uh -huh. a racist, because you know, you're just conditioned to be racist by your environment and your circumstances. But I think like Jesus, like he says that the, the prince of this world has come and he has nothing inside of me. Or in other words, there's nothing inside of my heart and in my mind that Satan could draw from to compel me to be sinful like he is, or that could force me to be like the world around me. Like mm -hmm. Jesus is immersed in sin. Like the whole world is sinful and crazy and insane. And he's got fallen human flesh and blood like that he's carrying around yeah. as a being, you know, as a human being who's also the divine son of God. And he says, there's nothing in me. Like there's nothing that can, come out of me that he can draw out of me you know i mean he, he could sin obviously he could he could turn away from the, his loyalty to god and be selfish but that potential existed in jesus but my point is that if like like if we like jesus if there was nothing in us that could be drawn out of us so that we would be acting racially prejudiced or that we would feel feelings of racial superiority or yeah. look at another racial group and, and look down on them just on the basis yes. of their immutable physical characteristics. If that, if we were like Jesus inside, that wouldn't be possible. Right. Is what I'm right. saying. So absolutely. Like, from a biblical standpoint, I, I've always thought, I want to share like a quick view here and then I'll kind of leave. I don't know. We, for the sake of time, we should probably wrap up, but um, I want, that's why I just thought we need to keep this series going. Cause I have like 50 things I want to talk to you about. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm yeah, just in regards yeah, yeah. to race and yeah, social issues and the things that are happening. Because, yeah, because there are other things that like there, oh. there, I think we should talk about like the, like Adventist history. Cause there's something to be said about the earlier stages of the, so like if, yeah, if we want to do this again, like for Absolutely. sure. We, we yeah. need to, I think it'd be really yeah. fun. But yeah. so I was just going to say my view of racism, racism is, is that, this is gonna this is it's gonna take someone to just come from where i'm see where i'm coming from this okay um because this is like i think a relatively original perspective i've always thought that racism is not its own thing rather racism is the extension of something okay and so like it's not as if like joe is racist and tom is not to me Tom is selfish, Joe is selfish, and in Joe, his selfishness is expressing itself along racial lines. Okay. So to me, racism is not a root, it's a fruit. 
Okay. I, yeah, everyone yeah. has the root and the root is selfishness and self-love and me first and mine first and, you know, my kind first. And so I feel like, you know, the person who, like, the person who, say, is living in Europe and they're a German, and let's say 500 years ago, it's all white people besides a very, very small fraction of the population. It's all white-skinned people, fair-skinned people in Europe. And there's this German guy, and he just hates those stupid Ukrainians, man. I mean, they're just slimy and scuzzy and dirty. And look at their heads. They're really big and square. Right, right, you know, right. he's got his 50 reasons for thinking that these people are like vermin. And then both of these guys, let's say it's not 500 years ago, but like 100 years ago, say both of these guys immigrate to the United States of America. They live in the same neighborhood. They both have the same skin tone. And all of a sudden, they're white. They're the right. same. And they don't hate each other anymore. They're not racist towards each other anymore. They just like look at the brown Mexican immigrants and say, oh, look at these vermin, these slimy Indians from the jungle, you know, whatever they think. And yeah. so my point is that you see people's relationship to race change all the time. Yeah. And it's usually all about us and them, like me against them. What's most yeah. like me, what's least like me. And, and I think a lot of our love for other people and as selfish human beings is really love for ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, I'm loving myself through loving someone who's like me. Right. Or I'm loving yeah. myself through loving someone who can give me something or I get yeah. an advantage for loving them. So to me, that's why I say racism is not like its own thing. Rather, it's an expression of what we all are. And, right. and in, this, in some ways, everyone's a racist. And when I say that, I just, I don't mean like everyone's expressing racism or being racist or racially prejudiced in their thinking. I'm just saying everyone has the root of what race, the root of where racism comes from. Yeah. So that, yeah, I would, I would, I, I, I agree with that. I think that the, the, the root of it is that is that selfishness and like you said it it, it it expresses itself differently i think what what and and again we'll we'll touch more on this uh in in the future but i think the thing why why the racism thing is pivotal at this moment why the race discussion is pivotal at this moment is that at, at, at particularly here in america you have many christians who want to deny it as an expression of selfishness. They don't want to admit that it is that fruit, as, as you called it, right? And so the struggle, and so I think that that take on racism has an impact on how the gospel is viewed. It has an impact on how Jesus is viewed. I think it, I think it uh, really hinders the, the work of the church when they are, uh, because I believe this with any fruit that would be neglected or denied as, as a, as a, as, as part of this, this root. But I, and I think, but I think the, it's really salient right now that the, this, and the, the race discussion and this denial on its role in the, in, as it relates to the Christian and their interaction with the world. Yep. So check this out. Do you, as, as a individual, like what, when you meet a person, like, okay, so this is a, race is always a weird discussion because like, how do you, you know, just, just when you get to the whole definition of race, it's so complicated, right? Like, how do you want to yeah. race in the first place? Yeah, and, right. And when you talk about race, from which angle are you talking about it? And anyways, but historically in, in the West, right? So okay. you, this, this is how I see the history of the world. Um, it's horrible. It's terrible. It's barbaric. People in, you know, the, the powerful enslave the weak. It's, just terrible. Like mm -hmm. nature's hostile, surviving is difficult, and 
people oppress each other. That's the history of the world in Asia and Africa, yeah. in America and wherever you are at any point in time, there's oppression and it's terrible. It's most brutal and recent manifestation was the enslavement of uh, Western Africans in the Americas and in Europe. There was also slavery going on in Asia at the same time and all this stuff. But in our context text in the West, we have historically been racially, we have enslaved peoples from certain regions of the world. And then out of that was born racial sense of a feeling of racial supremacy. Yeah. Um, and you have kind of like those who built the nation, those who are superior and those who we enslaved. That's kind of the basic paradigm that we're in. And so now with the civil rights movement and the, the abolition of slavery in the West and consequently a hundred and something years ago, the civil rights movement and equal rights under the law, you have um, at least legally speaking, right. relative equality in the West, legally speaking. Uh -huh. Obviously it's not going to always be the case because people are people and they can use laws any way they want. And I think the death of George Floyd is a perfect example of how there's not, the, the guy was murdered and you know the thing that, that, that this kills me, by the way, just as an aside on the murder of George Floyd, is not like if, if the cop, I still don't know his name. I, I don't remember his name. I don't even care to. But yeah, I don't. I haven't. The, the police officer who, who killed him, like if it was two minutes that he had his knee on his neck, like you'd think, like, oh, that was a little long. You know, come on, two minutes. Right, right. right. If it was five minutes, you'd think, dude, five minutes? What? But it was nine minutes. It was eight yeah. minutes something seconds. It's like, yeah. at, at what point? does he not just calm down? Like if he's just charged up from adrenaline and he's right. Life no, is always right. in danger. Yeah. It's just insane to me that, that it's nine minutes, man. Yeah, man. If I could be a psychopath, who knows? But anyways, that's, I'm done with that little aside. But so as a black person in America, what, when do you feel really good about how white people are acting toward in the conversation of race? Like, when do you think to yourself, Oh, this is productive. This is constructive the way this white person is acting or the way that group of whites is acting, when do you think to yourself, okay, I as a black man can see, this is a good approach to take. I, uh, so that was honestly, a long explanation to get no, to yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Um, I honestly think it's, it's in moments like this. I really think, um, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I think this is the only way out, like where, where it's met on his face, like where I can sit with someone and we can, like explicitly discuss it and work through it. That's when I feel the most safe because race in America has a really, uh, a racism in America, white supremacy. Um, it has a good, it, 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 it does a good job of bleeding into the background. Like it's always present. And so like, so that makes engagement uncomfortable, right? So I've been walking down the street I've, I, I, this is, this is really happened. I've been walking down the street. Someone has jumped off the curve to like avoid, uh, like out of fear from me. Like somebody, I watched somebody almost get hit by a car one time trying to dodge me. And, and Matt, you know me, you already said like, I'm, I'm not threatening you. Like I'm a dork, like walking down the street. Like I'm not a threat, but like the, the imagery, like she jumped off the curb and she almost got hit by a car. I got, I was, <laughs> I got, I got, I was in cars. I got pulled over twice. I wasn't driving, but got pulled over twice while I was, I was at a rise. And I know both of those were because one time Mindy, well, you know who Mindy is. Yeah. Uh, she was a, so a white woman. She was driving in the car with Craig, Andre and myself. And we got pulled over 
and I know why that was like it was no and so those moments and the cops were super hostile like aggressive and like hands on a gun off the rip like from when they walked up to the car so anyway I feel most safe to answer your question I feel most safe in moments like this because at least I I feel like I can get a reading like I can know where we stand and we can and and I believe it's productive because we can work through if we're truly listening to each other like I, I think we can get somewhere yeah. Um, but uh, just out in the day to day, it's very the, the, the one thing that is interesting about the George to use the George Floyd situation um, is that that seems spectacular to many. But that is a very mundane moment. Like it's a very normal, everyday moment. It doesn't seem like it to some like it's new to some. But I am I at least am sensitive to how readily available a moment like that is. Um, but what's very interesting, I just wanted to touch on your aside. This may have nothing to do with my answer, but I just find it interesting because you brought up the, the amount of time. And what's also interesting about what, what's happening with George Floyd, and this gets to, you know, the, the gospel really penetrating and impacting how we see people. There, in, in, George Floyd says a lot out loud in that almost nine minutes that he's, he's there. Like he's, He's saying, I, I want to breathe, I, you know, I can't breathe. It gets, to the, it gets to the space where he starts to call out for his mother. Now, you, the, for the viewers or the listeners, his mother is dead. She's been dead for a while. Yeah. So, like, what kind of state are you in, right, where you are so desperate to breathe that you start to call out for your known, you understand what I'm saying? And the, what's interesting to me is that that evoked no sympathy in the heart of that officer. Like yeah. he, it didn't change his position at all. And when you look at his face, he was so, um, he had taken that authoritative position. He was so settled into it that he had, I, it seemed like he got to the space where it's like, now you can't tell me I'm going to sit here because I can do it. I can, and I'm going to. And so the, 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 so I guess it's just touching your question. When I am not sure, your your take on my humanity then i'm deeply uncomfortable oh, and boy. it's only in this conversation that i can come not in this particular but in conversation yeah. where i can come to understand like how like what your take is on like my humanity not that it impacts that it impacts my take on my own humanity but like it lets me know like who you are as it relates to me and yeah. it's clear like that's just an example where you know george floyd wasn't a human being in any true sense of the word uh to that cop in uh, at least in for those nine minutes or whatever it's unbelievable you know the the when i when i i didn't watch the video until like three or four days after so i i'm sitting here i had no i don't watch the news you know so I, right I, right I'm, just, I'm on facebook and people are saying stuff and i was like okay another instance of police brutality and i'm always suspicious of the media personally because i feel that there is always when i say this don't get me wrong i'm not saying that mm -hmm. I think everything that they say is untrue I feel that they always have a slant and a bias and they have, you know, they have a, they always have the intended purpose of raising ratings. Like it's yeah. always the case. And so, yeah. you know, when it comes to George Floyd's death or anyone else's death, they're going to kind of fan as many flames as they possibly yeah. can because that raises ratings. And yeah. then on the flip side, when they talk about the riots, they're going to, you know, there might be a seven hour uh, pro uh, protest with 15 minutes of violence. And then they film the 15 minutes of violence. Yeah. And then go, oh, there's riots in San Francisco. Right, 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 right. So it's right, like right. on the one hand, it's like, all oh, the cops are killing all the black folk in America. They're hunting them down. And then on the other side, it's 
everyone's rioting, yeah. America's in flames. And then I yeah, start yeah. to think, man, you people are just, you're fan in flames on both sides yeah. and you're profiting off of the discord that you're producing. Yeah. You're not really wanting constructive conversation or racial harmony. You're just kind of styling yourselves as, yeah, you care about racial harmony, but you're right. just really just using, I feel like sometimes the media exploits the black American community in order to just up ratings and create tension. Sometimes, not all the time. No, I, but I agree. I agree with that. the media outlets care, but, but when they started talking about George, so I, I don't watch the media much, but everyone's talking about George Floyd's death. And I'm thinking, oh, what's this, what's this going to happen? And I, I went on to a friend's, uh, I saw a friend who had a Facebook page comment and I, I was like, oh, and he was making lots of assumptions about America. Uh -huh. uh -huh. He's not an American. He's an, he's an Australian. And I thought, oh, and that kind of always annoys me a bit, you know, as, as yeah, right. whenever someone's from another country is being real critical of your own, you kind of feel yeah. that. So I, I asked a few questions and I, did, I hadn't seen the video yet. I said, I said, hey, you know, what, what, what is it? I just saw a picture and I said, hey, listen, man, that happened to me when I was 17 years old and I was driving in my car and the cops pulled me out of the car and, and my friends and I, they put us on the concrete, uh, on the hot concrete and did their necks, you know, the knee on our neck and stuff. Mm -hmm. and I said, so what, what indicates to you that this was racially motivated? Maybe, maybe it wasn't. What are the, what, what are the reasons? I hadn't seen the video. Now, you know, right, you, right. Sometimes yeah. you say things and then you feel like a donkey after. Yeah, right, right, right. You could have watched the video first, you know, <laughs> but you know, when you, yeah, anyways. But I know, but, uh, and, and, uh, but I, I do think, I do think that it is constructive to ask certain parties because I, the, what, your statement on the media is, is I think, a, a sound one. And I, and I think people swoop in and they suddenly have commentary on yeah. it. And so I also press people, you, you tell me why you think what you're saying. So like, I get that even, even because I believe it was racially motivated, but I also want to hear like why, because are you just joining the spectacle? Or are you constructively trying to join the conversation like yeah. tell me i i also press people like what do you mean when you say yeah. x because are you just are you speaking because even if this is what i mean even though it's racially motivated i think if you can have a selfish intention in joining the party yeah. and you could harm the conversation that could be constructive because your motives aren't pure in right. talking through what this means that it is racially motivated. Yeah, you're using a horrible event as a cudgel to just kind of, you know, to, to beat other people with it. And maybe right. it's a political agenda or maybe even just to vent, right. know, even to justify your own irrational uh, feelings towards another person or group of people. Yeah. I, I think, you know, with, but I asked that question and then I, I went back and then I saw that. And then a friend of mine was like, I can't remember, I don't want to say her name, but she's like, hey, have you watched the video? <laughs> she's, she's an african-american lady who lives here in australia and she's like hey matt she's really sweet hey yeah she's like she was very gracious to me and she's like hey have you seen the video i was like no i haven't i was like hang on let me go see it um and it's funny because this yeah what happened with that you know there's so many things that i think of at the same time like okay there's a police officer he's in a certain community what has he over time had to interact with how has he been treated? I grew up as in, a, in a mixed cultural community. And in the neighborhood I grew up from the time I was like one to seven, I was the sole fair-skinned kid in that, in that neighborhood. And that was really good for me because it gave me a lot of ability over time to just relate. Mm -hmm. Not like, hey, homie, homie, yo, yo, yo. Right, right. But, but yeah, actually understand that people are people um, and that people 
really basically function similarly on an internal level that we're the same with just yeah. different expressions and whatever and cultures and conditions but but um so i knew the hostility like in the community that i grew up was very hostile towards police like unreasonably hostile like in the sense that the police come around they get rocks thrown at them someone's killed and the police come and people curse them out you know so they're so a lot of time they they, they do suffer hostility that is pretty intense and so i'm seeing this guy and i'm like okay did he snap because maybe he's in a community that's constantly hostile towards him you know what level of racial prejudice did he have in his heart that motivated this anyways and and as i'm watching this unfold you know one minute two minutes three minutes four minutes it's just like at what at what point like at, at what point do you not just conclude that this police officer right like deserves to be hung right but you know i i just and i want to talk to you about this next time we talk just the whole idea of punitive retributive justice okay. and, and how okay. that could kind of play into this whole discussion but um i, I guess okay so we, we're kind of gone into this wormhole about george floyd but i think it's fair to say that healthy and not just temporary conversations and actions need to be taken in our church movement not because we're as bad as the world when it comes to race because I think we're doing better, but compared to what, right? Like, right. We're a, we're a, a study just came out saying the Seventh-day Adventist Church in America is more diverse than America as far oh, as wow. membership, you know? So okay. as a group of people, and historically speaking, as a church, we have not been as guilty for, for the no, sins of, 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 of other churches and other groups. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we can't, the ideal is Jesus and the ideal is true unity. No, but I do want to... I do want to get the next time we talk, I do want to get to that. I think, I think an important conversation that we need to have is where, where we started from with this and where we are now. Cause I think something has gone terribly wrong. I would say, I know you, I know it's important to hedge, but I would say that the pioneers and when I mean, I mean, Ellen White, James White, Loughborough, Andrews, Uriah Smith, like, like their, their, their understanding of race and as how it related to the prophetic and the gospel, I yeah. think is a, is a critical conversation to have at this moment. I think it is yeah. critical because, and the reason I say that, right, there's a quote that we love that when I say we, I mean, Seventh-day Adventists, I hear it everywhere. You know, we have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history, right? We throw it out so much so that I, I've memorized it by osmosis almost. Like I just hear it enough where it's just like you hear it, right? Yeah. But what the, we, we have something to fear for the future as it relates to race relations in the church because we have forgotten where the, where mm. the Lord has led us. Interesting. So like, like we, we have to get back to what he taught us in order to, to be able to move in this moment. Because I think, uh, and we could, we could end soon, like we could stop because, yeah. but, um, but I think that this is a critical moment, not, and, and it's only critical, not because we're chasing behind the world and now they're talking, I'm saying because, because we didn't do what we could have done with what God had given us, that we, the world has now thrust us into a space where we now have to self-examine because we could be in position to really proclaim to the world what it really means to dwell in peace and unity not despite difference, but with difference or uh, yeah. through difference. 
yeah, through difference. Uh, not, not clenching our teeth, but actually enjoying right. the, the difference between this brother, that brother, this yep. family, that family, truly, genuinely appreciating the difference. I, I think really that, that to me is the shift that has to transpire where I'm sitting next to a person and I am, I'm, I'm going to like rejoice in their difference and be yeah. interested in it and learn from it and yeah. find it fascinating and find it something that enriches the world. Not that I have to just bear and kind of grin and <laughs> right. <laughs> heart of heart wish I could just be yeah. around people who are just like me. And you know, what's so funny brother is that this whole discussion of race, it lends itself to just how we, the discussion of how we relate to people, because yep. if I'm in a potluck, luncheon at a church as a visitor or even as a visitor sitting next to me i don't know who this person is they look like you know a certain caricature i have of a certain kind of person and because of that you know i don't really want to talk to them or i don't feel comfortable with them and i just kind of you know just sit there in awkward silence you know why not just disabuse myself of that thinking and get to know right. the person and be interested right. in the person and say hey where are you from or you know take a chance risk myself I put myself out there on yeah. some level and like you said at the beginning of this conversation it unselfishness is risky because i'm risking being rejected right i'm being i'm risking someone else abusing my kindness and yeah. returning it with unkindness um and you know that can be very hurtful and painful to me but i have a friend named jennifer jill and she said something brilliant when she was counseling me when i was dating my wife because we were about to break up because we had a difference of opinion as to how, what university she should go to and when we should get married oh. and this stuff. And she said to me, and I won't give too much of the context, but she said to me, Matt, someone needs to be Jesus first. <laughs> yeah, that's good. She said, good. everyone's sitting around like waiting for someone else to be yeah. Jesus. And she said, yeah. maybe, maybe as a husband, maybe if you're going to be a husband, maybe right. you should practice in this dating relationship being Jesus first. Yeah. And she said, maybe that would be taking the lead the way you're supposed to take the lead as a man. Yeah. I thought, oh, that was powerful. And I've never yeah. forgotten that. And I think in issues of any issue of distinction and difference, we should always think in our heads, someone has to be Jesus first. Right. Whether it's just, right. no matter what it is. But um, any closing thoughts, brother? And then we'll make a date to do this again. All right. When, when do you want to do it? I don't know. I don't know. We'll set a date, but it'll have All to right. be, let's do it in a week. Let's do it in another week. All right, I'm with I'm 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 there. So I'll save it. I just because uh, yeah, I I mean, I um, yeah, that's a good that's a that's a good place to stop. Somebody has to be Jesus first, yeah, um, man. because we can get the the context. I mean, the next conversation we have is going to be more in the concrete. The context is going to get tough for some people, but um, you know, I I really I really believe with all my heart that Jesus is, uh an example like he is the example and i think when we're really looking through him i think that that will shape how we see this in a way that um will move us oh let me i'll say this to you i will say this in closing so i, I was on um there's this philosophical group i won't they i was on they did a conference call today in light of all the things that were going on and there's one philosopher he's pretty well known and um in his in, you know in some existential circles and he does africana philosophy and 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 he was saying that and he he likes to make this point that if you drill down to the bottom right to the core of the universe mm -hmm. power you'll you'll hit power like power is the 
principle that drives everything, right? And I've always been a little bit uncomfortable with that because I'd, I'm trying to figure out what he means by that. But I think what I appreciate about the Adventist take is that when you dig down deep to the core of the universe, you hit love, right? Yeah. And I think that changes how you see the world, right? So the, 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 the world is not this grasping for, for what little straws you can have and then taking straws from the other to make sure you have straws for later. But the, um, I, I love in The Desire of Ages where Ellen White talked about the circuit of beneficence mm -hmm. that was broken and that God has been working to reconnect the circuit of beneficence, right? So when we see race and racism, racism is a break with the circuit. It's, it's a break. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to place individuals back. Like the, the new earth will be filled with nodes in the circuit. Like yeah. that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to restore. And so my challenge, it would just be for all of us to ask God to like really give us the courage to, to face ourselves, to see what is keeping us from being reconnected into that circuit. Yeah. Um, and for those that, you know, like, so the circuit is like God, right? He gives life through his son and it returns to God through acts of service and praise. Mm -hmm. Racism is a break. Like racism is me deciding this person does not deserve my act of service. That's basically what any ism is that. Yeah. And God is trying to break that in us. And I don't think, this is strong, but maybe I've earned the trust of your listeners by this point. I don't think if you don't allow that and uh, those those breakages is th those breakages to be broken you you won't experience the new earth mm -hmm. because the new earth and so god is trying to create that now right like he's trying to do that now he's trying to restore the new earth in each individual heart that's what he's trying to do yeah. and and we and and heaven forbid we let any of these stupid isms to cause him to not be able to do that in us amen and it's powerful. Amen. Yeah. So, you know, our message is to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Right. Maybe we're not winning every kindred, tongue, and people because every kindred, tongue, and people within our church family is not one. And yeah. so I think all of us can agree uh, as a church family that, that that's our goal. Jesus, he prayed, Father, make them one as we are one. And he was not just yeah. talking about people from the same race or culture yeah. or community. And so, yeah, as, as Adventist church believers I, th I really think we need to singularly focus on christ as you were saying at the beginning and allow him to transform us from glory to glory and if if yeah. we don't like you said we're not going to experience heaven because it's all about me it's all about selfishness and right. i can't love others i can't right. celebrate the distinction and uniqueness of other people with their racial differences with their cultural differences and um and i think that I think is where we've we've come to in this conversation. Yeah. Evangelism doesn't work as well as it could because the people in our church are fragmented and divided and we're allowing the same things that divide the world to divide us. And a physical immutable characteristic that someone was born with should never be grounds for us to see them as less never. or something that's not just as significant as us or, or a brother or a sister, um, no matter which place we're coming from so hey brother because one because if we if we're not okay because if we're not convinced the way you just described heaven and and the and the, the new earth and eternity if we're not convinced that that is the way right that that way that world is the right way if that's the right way if we're if we're not convinced what are we pulling people to yeah. like what are we out telling anybody what are we trying to communicate to the world 
about this if we are not convinced that that is the way the world should be. Totally. You know, it's funny because I always get in this conversation. I can't believe you. I, I, I want to stop talking, but I can't. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, it's, don't, don't be sorry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stressed. As, a, as an Adventist Christian person and as a citizen of the United States of America and as a citizen of Australia, I'm always considering where my civic and religious duty kind of merge or mm-hmm. come out, right? So, uh, uh. so do I, as a faith-based Christ follower, spend much time worrying about politics and the laws of the government and this and that. Like I have a responsibility there because I'm a citizen of this country and I should as much as I possibly can help the leaders of the nation um, frame the the most just and fair laws as as I possibly can. There's nothing wrong with, with me taking my Christian values and and informing politics through my my Christian values. If, if that would have never happened in the past, we'd still have slavery. Because right. to a great extent, most of the abolitionists were Bible-believing Christians. They weren't like secular philosophers, you know, some were, but the majority were evangelical Christians. And they, they took their religious faith and they helped inform their leaders to make different laws. And that's good and that's, that's fine. But I don't want to impose my religious faith on other people. I don't want to, it, I can't force the, the keeping of God's first four commandments and this and that. So I'm always considering the tension between yeah. my religious responsibility, my, my focus on church and family versus my focus on government and citizenship. So anyways, one of the things that I think, whatever, wherever you fall on this issue, like the issue of how much Christians should participate in political discourse and all that stuff, I do think that the best thing we can do, wherever we fall on that, I think we could all agree that the best thing we can do as a church is show the way it should be done in our church so so if somebody says hey i feel called like ben carson i'm going to be politically active and get fully involved in the political process like i as a believer might not think that i would ever want to do that or that's the best use of my time and energy if he if he thinks that and he's convinced okay maybe he thinks he's a daniel god bless you no worries i don't judge him for that like as a person and think that he's wrong for getting in politics but i'm more libertarian i'm not going to get involved in that stuff but but i think to whatever degree an Adventist Christian feels that we should get involved in politics and making just and fair laws, I think we should never forget that in this planet, we will never make a utopia and that we can push for just laws and we can support politicians who are going to do the right thing according to what we think is the right thing. We have that right. It's fair to do that. But at the end of the day, what we should care most about is the body of Christ and making it the most like heaven yeah. that we possibly can and setting an example for the world so that if yeah. if the world is unjust and unfair and terrible we're not right with our own you know right yeah. so that's my that's my final thought no that's good and that's i'll 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 uh save because we want if we if we're gonna if we're committing to next week then because then that's good. a that, that's <laughs> a no yeah because that's a good bridge to yeah. what i would want to talk to you about um and they would open up a wormhole so like we could save yeah. it for the next time. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate oh, it. Was my pleasure. This was good. I, was, I enjoyed it. Yeah, enjoyed man. It. God bless you. And uh, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. We'll see uh, you next week. Uh, all things evangelism. Why evangelism doesn't work. One reason is because we don't love each other. Yeah. God bless. All right. God bless y'all.